And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Staple self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Dick Powell stars as New York-based gumshoe Richard Diamond, private detective from 1951. Then William Bendix stars in part one of a comedy episode of The Life of Riley from 1948. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Glad to be here. What's happening in Hollywood? Well, this is kind of a big week for movies. Walt Disney Studios released a live adaptation of its Oscar-winning animated classic, oh, I don't know. Beauty and the Beast. Okay. What they released was... That's the tra- like you and me, Beauty exactly and the Beast. Exactly what I was thinking. This is their trailer premiere. Um, it stars Emma Watson as Belle, um, and also includes Ewan McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Audra McDonald, some of the best talent out there. So we can look forward to this release on March 17th of 2017. Very good. You know what we can look forward to now? I certainly do. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Let's go back to January 12th, 1951 for the Marilyn Connors case starring Dick Powell. Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Mr. Diamond, come in, sir. Well, thank you, Francis. How's the pantry Einstein tonight? Oh, oh, my goodness, sir. That was a dandy. Oh, you like that, huh? Oh, yes, sir. Well, <laughs> chuckle along and tell Miss Asher sweet and frostbitten is downstairs. Right away, sir. I'll be in the study. Yes, sir. The snow is snowing. The wind is blowing. But I can weather the storm. Why do I care how much it may storm? I've got my love to keep me warm. Hi. Hi. What's new? Nothing with me. I want to know about you. Uh, nothing much with me either, honey. What have you been doing for the last couple of days? Mm, case. Oh. Got a nice big fat retainer. Oh. Yeah, oh. Look at the eyes light up. Well, I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want your money. But now that I'm independently wealthy, you figure you don't have to feed me anymore. Rick. Don't have to take me to any more shows. Stake me to an occasional chocolate malt. Oh, don't be silly. You know I don't mind. Just because I made a couple of hundred dollars. A couple of hundred dollars? Stop kissing my hand. Rick. You idiot. Mm. I have tickets for the ballet tomorrow night. Dinner at 21 after the show. Oh, Rick. <laughs> Afterwards, we neck. I love you. Of course. Now, I suppose you want to hear all about the case. Well, not unless you want to. Well, as long as it's optional. If you're too tired some other time. It all started three days ago. You don't really have to. I can hear about it any time. I was sitting in my office. You don't have to put yourself oh, up. Oh, shut up, woman. <laughs> as I was saying, the whole thing started three days ago. 
I was sitting in my office reading Gaylord Hauser and soaking my feet in a tub of blackstrap molasses when the door opened and then walked six feet of mink cape wrapped around five and a half feet of what little girls are made of. I remember thinking about the sugar and spice and everything nice, and even with the mink cape covering most of it, I decided that this little girl could have given a bee farm a nervous breakdown. Mr. Diamond? You have been reading the sign on the door. I'd like to hire you. Well, I'd like you to. I charge a hundred a day in expenses. I want protection. From what? My husband. What's the matter? Can't he stand the pace? He's getting out of prison at five o'clock this afternoon, and he's threatened to make trouble. I think you better tell me the whole thing, Miss... Uh... Uh, Connors. Marilyn Connors. Uh, okay. Uh, who's your husband? His name's Joe Connors. Oh. You know him? Helped send him up ten years ago. Armed robbery, wasn't it? Yes. He hasn't served all of his time, but he's being paroled. Go ahead. Well, since Joe was sent up, I had to find work. A man Joe used to work for gave me a job in his club. Martin Cope? Yes. Do you know him? Mm, slightly. We're hating acquaintances. Mr. Cope has been very wonderful to me. I'm sure he has. I don't think I like that. Your husband doesn't either, huh? You're very blunt, aren't you? Like the front of a streetcar. I don't like your boss, and I don't like your husband. I think it's better that you know now before you make any investments and then have to fire me. You're the best private detective in New York. Only because I'm brilliant, shrewd, and loaded with talent. <laughs> and a little ridiculous. <laughs> oh, sure. Add that on and just think what you're getting for a lousy hundred a day in expenses. Even though you don't like Joe and Mr. Cope, you'll still take the job? Look, uh, Mrs. Connors, I I've been honest with you about your husband and Cope. I never let personalities interfere in my business. A job's a job. Besides, I'm starving to death. She gave me a slow smile, complete with a high fever, handed me a retainer, and swayed out of the office like Mata Harry leaving an atomic research stag party. We agreed to meet again at four o'clock, so I spent the next hour on the roof, relaxing in three feet of snow, and around four o'clock, walked my frozen blood pressure down to Martin Cope's nightclub, the only king-size safe decorated by Bergdorf Goodman, complete with an intellectual piano player, a $15 minimum, and enough intrigue to make a Senate investigation look like a taffy pole. Ask me, I could write a the girl who had been to my office earlier was standing on the edge of the empty dance floor rehearsing a song while the piano player was trying his best to overdo the accompaniment. I grabbed a chair and sat down to listen. Something wrong? Look, if you'd like to do a single, why don't you say so? You're unhappy? When you're playing for me, I would appreciate it if you just backed me up quietly, simply. Stop hating our Tatum. Darling, I'd be happy to do anything you say except for one thing. Yes? You can't sing. Why, you anemic excuse for a musician. You couldn't get a song right if you ran it through a player piano. Temper, darling. You listen to me, Bernie. I put up with you for a long time. You've put up with me? Yes, with you. Oh. I've let you mess me up night after night. You did that all by your little lonesome, honey. You just better remember who's paying your bills, honey. I get out here and break my neck to try and give a good show. Don't you get cute with me. You better wise up, Buster, or you're going to end up playing for your meals down on Skid Row. They kept going round and round. And about the time the piano player looked like he might possibly throw caution to the wind and stamp his foot, a door opened at the other side of the room and Martin Cope, big-time gambler and owner of the club, walked over to the piano. 
Look, if you two insist on raising the roof, take it to the back room where nobody can hear you. I'm sorry, Martin, but Bernie just wasn't... Mr. Cope, I can assure you that it wasn't... You stay out of this. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. You two can kick the walls in when I'm not in my office, but honey, when I've got work to do... It won't happen again. What's the matter? Who's that? Who? Sitting over there. Well, I'm surprised, Cope. I thought you'd spot my blue eyes. Oh, it's Mr. Diamond. Diamond? Yes, he, he says you know each other. Diamond, the private detective? Sure. You remember, Cope, all those times down at the precinct, playing 20 questions? What are you doing here? I got tired of talking to nice people. Beat it. I asked Mr. Diamond here, Martin. You did? Well, I know you're not worried about Joe, but I am. And you had this two-bit gum shoe? Temper, temper. Mr. Diamond's supposed to be the best private detective in the business. Says who? Well, I did mention it a few hundred times. Did Sloan put you up to this, honey? Martin, with Joe getting out this afternoon... I told you not to worry about Joe. Did Sloan tell you to hire yourself a bodyguard? Thought it would be a good idea. He did, huh? Everybody's got a good idea. Nobody thinks I know what I'm doing. I just happen to run the place. Sloan was thinking about you, Martin. Yeah, but I'll give him something to really think about. Now, Martin... No, I'm tired of the whole mess. Everybody's scared stiff of a two-bit punk who's getting out of stir. Hiring an ex-cop who couldn't protect an old lady from a boy scout. Have you been tested for rabies lately? Look, Diamond... Martin, I'm afraid of what Joe might do. Oh, but hiring a private cop and to top it off, you gotta pick this one. Look, uh, uh, Mrs. Connors... I don't want to cause a lot of trouble. Well, you're trying real hard. Maybe you'd better just take your retainer and we'll forget the whole thing. That is the only bright thing you've ever come up with, Mr. Diamond. How about it, uh, Mrs. Connors? Well, you keep the retainer, Mr. Diamond, but maybe under the circumstances it would be better... Sure, we... keep the money, Diamond. Go buy yourself a new joke book. I don't want it. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll donate it to your restaurant's hospital fund, Cope. We haven't got one. <laughs> That's the trouble with you, Cope. No vision. You should always have a little insurance in case of a bad accident. I left the club with Martin Cope, stretched out on the dance floor, and Marilyn Connors looking too startled to say much. Bernie, the piano player, accompanied my exit with a fast course of the funeral march, and I headed for my quiet little apartment. I napped for the rest of the afternoon... And by 8 o'clock, I was appropriately dressed in my best blue suit. The other one being a casual sienna and suitable only for badminton and runyon hunting. I had paused to admire myself, surreptitiously humming a few bars of temptation when, uh... Yeah? Richard Diamond? Depends on who wants him. My name's Sloan. William Sloan. Oh, I'm Diamond. What can I do for you? I'm here because Miss Marilyn Connors asked me to come by and talk to you. Well, come in. Thank you. I believe Martin Cope mentioned your name earlier this afternoon. In all probability, he did. I'm Mr. Cope's attorney. I proceed. Thank you. Cope uh, seemed a little unhappy with you, Sloan. That was because I suggested that Marilyn hire herself a private detective. I gathered as much. I picked you because of your reputation. I had no way of knowing that Martin didn't like you. Why are you here, Mr. Sloan? To ask you to go back on the job. Protect Marilyn until we're sure that her husband is not going to cause trouble. I'd like to know something, Mr. Sloan. Why do you expect Marilyn's husband to cause trouble? Isn't it obvious? Maybe I'm a little dense. Why, Marilyn and Martin Cope have been in love since Joe Connors was sent to prison. You think that's enough to make Joe Connors try something? Well, it uh, goes a little deeper than that. How deep? Joe Connors used to work for Martin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. I'm beginning to remember. Joe Connors swore Cope had him framed. That's correct. He swore that when he got out, he'd get him. Well, it's a little tough under the circumstances. It'll just cause another argument between Cope and Marilyn if I show up again. 
Why don't you get yourself another boy? A lot of good private detectives in New York. Because you'd be about the only one who wouldn't be afraid of Martin. And uh, Marilyn has a great respect for you. Even after I belted her boyfriend? Well, I think that convinced her you were the one for the job. Hmm. Joe Connors got out this afternoon, didn't he? That's right, at 4.30. Where's Mrs. Connors? At the club. Well, if I go down there, there's going to be more trouble. Martin went out about an hour ago. That's why we want you to come down. Martin got a phone call. He seemed worried. Marilyn was in the office with him. She said that when he left, he didn't say where he was going, but uh, he took his gun with him. Sloan and I went downstairs, climbed into his car, and headed for Martin Cope's nightclub. When we went in, Marilyn Connors was on stage. So we went to the back of the building and sat down in her dressing room. About ten minutes later, Marilyn came in. She was wearing something thin enough to make a silkworm come into Harry Carey. Hello, William. Mr. Diamond, I'm so glad you reconsidered. I think we both reconsidered, didn't we? Has Martin come back yet? I'll go see. I'll be right back. I'm worried, Mr. Diamond. Uh, how long ago did the cope leave? About half an hour before I went on. If you'll excuse me, I have to take off my makeup. Oh, sure, go right ahead. He's back. Martin? Yes, and I'm sure something's happened. He's worried sick about something. I'll go see him. Uh, Mrs. Connors. Yes? Uh, do you want me to stay? No, no, I don't think that'd be a good idea. Why don't you go over to my apartment and wait? It's 48 West 74th Street, number three. It's a walk-up. All right. Wait, you'll need a key. Here. She handed me her key and left with William Sloan. I walked out of the club, grabbed a cat, and 20 minutes later, I was walking upstairs to her apartment. The room was in darkness. I felt around for a light switch near the door. Then I froze. The room was still and quiet, but there was a smell in the air. A heavy, pungent odor that a gun leaves after it's been fired. The smell was cordite. I flipped the switch on and looked down at the dead body of Joe Connors, lying on his back, shot through the head. Oh, goody. Otis. Yeah? You're standing on my foot. Oh, sorry, Lieutenant. Well, good evening, Lieutenant Levinson. Who's dead, Diamond? Right over there. Name's Joe Connors. Shot in the head, Lieutenant. Well, Otis is getting brighter. Who did it? How do I know? Whose apartment is this? Uh, Mrs. Marilyn Connors. Same name as the dead man. No, his name's Joe. Oh, I mean the last name. Look, meathead. Well, it is. He's right, Walt. They were married. What are you doing here? Me? Well, I come with you. Otis. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, what are you doing here, Diamond? Well, Marilyn Connors asked me to wait for her. And let's all wait. Walt, Walt, have you noticed all the windows are locked? So it's cold out. Well, let's not wait. Let's go over to Martin Cope's nightclub. What's Martin Cope got to do with it? Leave Otis here until the coroner arrives. Put a tag on him so the coroner will be sure to get the right body, and I'll tell you about the whole thing on the way over to the club. Lieutenant Levinson to see you, Martin. Oh, hello, Lieutenant. Hi. What are you doing here, Diamond? He's with me, Cope. 
You own a gun? What is this? He said, do you own a gun? Yeah, so what? Mind if I look at it? Okay. It's loaded. Let's see. Hmm, been fired. You're nuts. Rick. Has been. What is this? I haven't fired that gun since I owned it. You took it out of here with you, didn't you? What's that to you, Diamond? You took it out tonight, didn't you? Don't answer that, Martin. Now look. Let's get down to the station. What for? Martin, you knew Joe Connors, didn't you? Yeah. Well, somebody shot him. You think I... Martin, don't say any more. I'm surprised it's you, Sloan. You were the one who told me Martin took the gun with him. You did? How the devil did I know Diamond would go to the police? What were you doing with Diamond anyway? Marilyn hired him. And fired him. She hired him again tonight. He was working for her. Anything I told him was in confidence. Murder just isn't confidential, Sloan. Look, uh... Wait a minute, Jim. Yeah, you're right. I, I went out to see Joe Connors. He, he phoned me. Martin. I didn't kill him, though. Yeah, I took my gun, but I didn't use it. He was dead when I got there. You went to Marilyn Connors' apartment? That's right. Well, let's all go down to the station and have ballistics check on this gun. And in the meantime, Cope, I'm holding you on suspicion of murder. <laughs> Report, Rick. Cope's gun was the one that did the job. Slug they took out of Connors matched. Hmm. Now let's talk to Marilyn Connors and Sloan again. Why? We've got our boy. Just want to talk to them. Send in Miss Connors and Mr. Sloan. Now what have you got on your mind, Rick? Oh, I was just thinking about all the windows being locked. So what? You want to see us, Lieutenant? Mr. Diamond does. Have a chair. Mr. Diamond, I'm sorry things worked out this way. Well, so am I. Oh, uh, here's your apartment key. Thank you. How many people have a key to your apartment, Mrs. Connors? What? Martin has the only other one. Mm-hmm. What time did Martin get that phone call? Oh, about 7.30, I guess. I got to the club about 7.15. Martin usually comes in about 7.30. I met him in his office, and he got the call. And he took the gun and left right away? Uh, it's all right. Uh, Martin has already admitted taking the gun. Yes, he took the gun and left almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Where were you, Sloan? At home. I got to the club just after Martin left. Marilyn told me what had happened, and I came right over to you. Oh. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Hmm. That's all? Are you going to defend Mr. Cope? I doubt it. I don't think he wants me to. Well, thank you very much. We'll be talking to you. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Mr. Diamond. So long. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, what was all that about? I want to talk to Martin Cope. Rick, now look. I want to talk to him. I want to find out how Joe Connors got into a locked apartment without a key. I don't want anything to do with you, Diamond. You better cooperate. Diamond's got an angle that's worth listening to. I didn't shoot Connors no matter what that ballistics report says. You have a key to Marilyn's apartment. Yeah. Connors was dead when you got there. Yeah, I told you that. You left the club about a quarter of eight. That's right, about a quarter of eight. Connors had been dead about three hours when I found him, Walt. I found him about 9.30. By gosh, that's right. And that, uh, that part of your story stands up, Cope. He, he was dead when you got there. What about the gun? You always keep that gun in your desk, Cope? Yeah. Who was in the club with you? Oh, the usual people. Waiter, bartenders, busboys. Marilyn? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Uh, who knew you kept the gun in the desk? Oh, 
Half a dozen people, maybe. You think somebody lifted that gun, killed Connors, and put it back in the desk? You always come in about 7.30, don't you, Cobe? Yeah, every night. According to the death certificate, Connors had been dead about an hour before you came in. What time did you leave the club this afternoon? Right after you slugged me. Oh, you got up rather suddenly. It was about 4.30, wasn't it? Somebody could have gone into your office, taken that gun, killed Connors, put the gun back before you came in at 7.30. Then I'm cleared? No, 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 not a bit. You have a key to Maryland's apartment. The killer had a key to let Connors in. Miss Connors said there were only two keys. Well, Walt, let's go talk to Mrs. Connors. That's the first portion of Richard Diamond, private detective Dick Powell, starring as Richard Diamond in the Marilyn Connors case from January 12, 1951. We'll get back to that in just a few minutes. want to remind all of our listeners that we have a website for this radio show called Hollywood360radio.com, and we have a podcast that has four full hours of our program at that podcast every week, plus an additional hour, a bonus hour, right, Lisa? Right. Of classic radio that we're not airing each week. So you'll get uh, quite a bit at our website. Go to Hollywood360radio.com. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, let's get back now to Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Uh, Mrs. Connors, where were you around 7 this evening? 7? Where were you? Why, downtown. You weren't in your apartment? No. Did you come back from downtown before going to the club? No. Uh, who was in your apartment? I know one that I know of. Have you ever given your key to anyone except Cope and, uh, oh, me, of course? Yes. Who and how long ago? My piano player, about a week ago. Hello, Bernie. Hello. Oh, hello. You're the nice man who slugged Mr. Cope this afternoon. Let me buy you a drink. Oh, no, thanks, Bernie. This is Lieutenant Levinson. Lieutenant? Hi. Uh, what time did you get the club this evening, Bernie? Oh, about 7.30. Why? The cook says he saw you come in around 7.15. Mm, Fifteen minutes one way or the other. Where were you at 7 o'clock, Bernie? My house, I guess. Mm, Bernie. Bernie, we checked with the state prison. They, uh, they censor letters up there. Do they? Mm-hmm. A man named Joe Connors got a letter two days ago... Telling him to meet someone at Mrs. Connor's apartment around 6.30 this evening. Hmm. What's this all about? Well, we'd like to have you come down to the station for a paraffin test, Bernie. A paraffin test? Yeah, we can determine if anyone has shot a gun in the last 48 hours. Oh. When did you take Mr. Cope's gun, Bernie? Right after he left this afternoon. You had a duplicate key made from the one Mrs. Connors gave you several days ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, the green hardware shop, I believe, over on 64th Street. Why'd you do it? Oh, love, hate, lots of reasons. What difference does it make? For a week now, I've heard him talking about Joe Connors and what he might do when he got out. I saw a chance to get rid of Martin Cope, so I had the key made, wrote Joe Connors a letter, and killed him with Mr. Cope's gun. 
After you killed Connors, you came back, put the gun back in the drawer, and when Martin Cope came in, you called him and said you were Connors. From my phone booth right over there. Were you in love with Marilyn Connors? That is an extremely earthy question that can do no good at all. Well, let's go, Lieutenant. I was getting tired of playing the piano anyway. It's too bad it didn't work. Think what Marilyn Connors in for when she marries Martin Cope. Oh, speaking of Marilyn Connors, you certainly did take a lot of pains describing her, um, her attributes. Oh, really? Well, it wasn't painful at all. Was she really that pretty? Pretty, pretty. Well, I'm jealous. Well, don't be. She had one thing that was wrong. What was that? She had long, blonde hair that hung all the way down to the floor. Well, that sounds beautiful. But it was her mustache. Oh. Rick. Hmm? I'll bet she really did have pretty hair. Oh, I guess so, but she kept it all rolled up on her head. What's the matter with that? Well, I like yours better. I wear mine up. Yeah, but I've seen you with your hair down. Rick. Come here. Rick? <laughs> Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell, was written by Blake Edwards. Our director is Helen Mack. Listen next week for another exciting transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the American Broadcasting Company. And that's Richard Diamond, private detective from January 12, 1951, with the Marilyn Connors case starring Dick Powell, written by Blake Edwards. Well, he also created this show, Lisa Blake Edwards, the great uh, uh, writer-director. He was married to Julie Andrews for many years. He directed all the Pink Panther movies, you know, with Peter Sellers. Good show, originally sponsored by Camel Cigarettes, although we removed all of the cigarette commercials on that. It's heard on NBC. All right, Lisa, you ready for a comedy? I sure am. Time to say, how about Life of Riley? Life of Riley, all right. It was created by Irving Brecker, and it starred William Bendix as Chester A. Riley. came to radio in 1944. Riley was an airplane riveter and devoted family man. His frequent exclamation of indignation, what a revolting development this is, became a popular catchphrase. Riley's wife, Peg, was played by Paula Winslow, and their children, Babs and Junior, were played by by Sharon Douglas, Scotty Beckett, and Conrad Binion. Riley's best friend and co-worker who often got him into sticky situations was Jim Gillis, played by versatile actor John Brown. Brown also doubled as the town's friendly undertaker, Digby O'Dell, Digger for short, where Gillis gave Riley bad advice and got him into trouble. Digger gave him good advice that as Digger helped him get out of a hole. The series made the leap to the silver screen and to television in 1949. On TV, Jackie Gleason 
since starred as Raleigh for its initial season, with Bendix reclaiming the role six seasons thereafter. We have an episode now, radio program for you, from 1948, May 1st to be exact. It's called Junior's Baseball Uniform. Here's William Bendix in part one of The Life of Riley. Rel brings you The Life of Riley. removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes and leaves hair radiantly clean, radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Being an average boy, Junior Riley suffers most when his faith in his father is shaken. And once in a while, Chester A. Riley shakes Junior's faith. Not on purpose, of course. But then, does poor Riley ever do anything on purpose? For instance, the other day, Riley and his wife were in their living room when Junior came in. Oh, say, Mom. What is it, Junior? Did you see my baseball anywhere? Yes, it's over on the piano, and I wish you'd stop leaving your things all over the house. Oh, I'm sorry, it won't happen. Your mother's happen right, Junior. You've got to learn to be neat. A place for everything and everything in its place. Well, I don't see the ball. It's on top of the piano, right behind my shoes. <laughs> Subject, Riley. Just what are your shoes doing on the piano? You scold Junior about being neat, and now then you leave your... Now, wait a minute, Peg. I got a good reason why my shoes are on the piano. Last night, when I went to the poker game, you said to be home by 12, but I didn't get home until after 2. So I took off my... <laughs> Peg, why are you picking on poor Junior? Junior, get out of here with that ball already. I'm going. Gee, I'm glad I found it. I thought I was lost. Now I can get that uniform. Uniform? For what? A real baseball uniform. I got 15 bucks saved, and I'm selling the ball for five bucks. That'll do it. Five bucks? But the ball only cost you a quarter. Yeah, I know. I make 475. Hey, and it's terrific. Almost 100% profit. <laughs> Why, if he keeps making that kind of money, you know what he's liable to wind up? Mm-hmm, a used car dealer. <laughs> Junior, how can you possibly sell that ball for so much money? Well, Harold's willing to pay. Yeah, who's this sucker, Harold? Oh, some kid at school. He's got plenty of moolah. Hey, he wants it on account of its autograph. Look. Where? Leo DeRocher. Well, hey, it's worth more than five bucks if it's signed by Leo De... Wait a minute. When did DeRocha sign this ball? Oh, he didn't, but Harold can't tell a difference. <laughs> what? You mean to tell me you... Well, that's the crookedest thing I ever heard of. Yeah, but, Pa, oh, your father's does. right. That's out now dishonesty. I'm surprised at you, Junior. Oh, well, gee, I, I, just I only... can't believe it. My own wife's son. <laughs> Is this the way I brought you up to forge signatures? But, Pop, you forged it. What? Nah, Junior Riley, don't you try to squirm out of it by blaming your own father. Peg. But he did ask him. I don't have to ask him. I just know your father doesn't forge signatures. Why, I... I bet anything. What odds will you give me? Chester Riley... You mean to well, say I just that did you... did it for a joke. I forgot all about it. You see, I told you Pop did it. Well, never mind who did it. That ain't the point. The point is you tried to take advantage of some poor kid. Oh, he's a rich kid. His father's a banker. That's no reason to rook him. I don't care if his father has a million bucks. 
This is a democracy, see, where everybody's equal. Take away this guy's million bucks and he's a bum like I am. All right, Riley, that's enough. I'm sure Junior realizes he was wrong. Well, he better. Well, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to buy that uniform. Now, you don't have to pull nothing crooked. If you need a uniform, you can come to me and ask me for it. Oh, okay, then. Will you give me the $5, please? All right, I got it right. Uh, uh, that's funny. I thought I had some in... Uh, well, I'm, I'm a little short of cash right now. I'll, I'll give you a check later. I haven't got my checkbook with me. But you haven't got a checking account. I, uh, I'll, I'll give you the cash later. I left it in my other suit. You haven't got another suit. <laughs> yeah, well, uh... You know, this signature looks like the real thing. Riley? Okay, okay, I'll get him a uniform. Oh, that's well of you. Say, will you get me one that has a number on the back? Now, look, son. If I was you, I wouldn't be so choosy. With your ideas, you'll be lucky if you don't wind up with a number on your chest. Well, Peg, what do you think of it? It's a nifty little uniform, huh? Well, it doesn't look very new. Well, there's a reason. It's secondhand. Oh, secondhand? Well, a new one's 20 bucks. It was a lucky break I found this in Sullivan's secondhand shop. He had a whole bunch of them there. Oh, Junior will be disappointed when he finds out it's secondhand. No, he won't. You see, I'll tell him this is the same uniform I used when I was a kid. And I happened to run across it in the attic. What good will that do? Why, for years I've been telling him what a great ball player I was. He'll be proud to wear this uniform. You were a great ball player? Well, sure. I remember one game in high school I made five home runs. You mean you struck out five times? Don't tell me. I was the batter. Don't tell me. I was the pitcher. <laughs> Some ball player. Uh, Junior don't have to know that. The main thing is he liked this uniform. And suppose he doesn't believe you found it in the attic. He'll believe me. I'll sprinkle a little dust on it. You got any dust in the house? Oh, honest, Riley, you sometimes... Oh, Mom. Oh, there's Junior. Now, let me handle this my way. Say, Mom, is Pop... Pop, you got my uniform. Yes, sir. Ain't it nifty, oh, huh? thanks. I'm going to try it on. Right... Hey, Pop, this uniform is new. Well, it's better than new. It's got a history. Son... This is the same suit I wore when I was your age. First baseman for the Brooklyn Dodgers. When you were 13 years old? Uh, I, I, I mean, the baby Dodgers in the juvenile league. <laughs> First baseman. Oh, well, gee, I, I never knew you were on a regular team with a uniform and everything. Oh, sure. I played hundreds of games with them. Oh, if this uniform could only talk. What stories it could tell. You're doing all right by yourself? <laughs> You should have seen me at bat. I used to murder that ball. Killer Riley, they called me. Gee, Killer Riley. Oh, you must have been good. Well, if you pin me down, yes. <laughs> Why, once Babe Ruth saw me play. Kitty said, keep it up and someday you'll be one of the biggest. That's what he said, one of the biggest. You're one of the biggest, all right. <laughs> yeah, you, you see, even your mother says so. Well, well, Junior, would you like to wear this uniform? Would I? I bet it's a lucky uniform. I, I only hope you'll be worthy of wearing this uniform in which I rose to such great heights. Riley, will you please put out the garbage? <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, say one thing, Pop. Hmm? If you were so good, how come you never made the big league? 
Uh, big league? Yeah. Well, uh, How come, Pa? Well, yes, dear. I'd like to hear the answer to that one, too. Uh, you would. Well, uh, you, you see, uh, it was my mother. I, I had lots of offers, but my mother kept saying, first finish school. First finish school. Yeah. And by the time I finished school, I was too old. <laughs> ball already. Oh, hold your horses, Bert. Hey, gee, that's a swell uniform, Junior. Boy, you got all the luck. I wish my father had been a ball player. Come on, let's play. Oh, my father was tops. They used to call him Killer Riley. Why, he went out of the park every time. You know, once Babe Ruth saw him playing, he said, boy, he's big league material. No kidding. Ah, you're full of hot air, Junior. Oh, yeah? Well, I got this uniform to prove it, haven't I? And my father doesn't tell lies. I still think it's a phony. And I think your old man's a phony, too. Will you take that back or I'll sock you one? Okay, okay, I take it back. Have it your own way. My father's on the level. Come on, let's play ball. Hey, Junior, what's that tag on the inside of your sleeve? What tag? Will you let go? Let go? What do you think you're doing? Ah, stand still. Will you let go? You're going to tear it. Ah, so your old man wore this suit when he was a kid? Sure he did. You sure? Sure, I'm sure. And they called him Killer Riley. Yeah, what about it? Well, no wonder. Hey, look, fellas. Look what it says here on this little tag. This uniform property of the state reformatory for juvenile delinquents. <laughs> ah, your butt is a jailbird. <laughs> you, Junior? Yeah, it's me. Hey, you're wearing my baseball uniform. Oh, you look great, son. Pop, was this really the uniform you wore when you were a kid? Why, uh, uh what makes you ask You know, that, please you? tell me the truth. It's important. It is? Well, uh, well, of course it's my suit. <laughs> okay. But it's yours now, and I hope you had the same luck I did when I was a kid. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, seeing you in that suit takes me back 25 years. I remember the first time I put it on. I was the proudest kid you ever saw. You were proud? Yes, sir. And when I stepped out on that field, they watched every move I made. (laughs) I'll bet they did. Killer Riley, they called me. What a slugger I was. Yeah, I I know. You told me. Yeah, not only hitting. My real specialty was stealing. I stole more in one year than any kid on the whole team Yeah, I I can imagine Nobody had a record like I had I remember the time Hey, where are you going, son? To my room Oh, sure, I guess you want to rest up for the big game tomorrow Yeah, that's right Uh, who's, uh, who's umpiring the game, Junior? Well, we don't know yet Well, how about me? I'm not busy. Well, no, no, Pop. Please, uh, the fellas, well, there'd be trouble. Oh, no, it's no trouble at all. I'd be glad to do it. Oh, but, Pop, Now, not another word, Junior. It'll be fun. I haven't been on a baseball diamond since I was a boy. It'll be just like old times. Only this time I'll be on the outside looking in. (laughs) (laughs) But, Pop... Pop, you... Oh, excuse me. I got something to do. Yeah, all right, Ah, what a wonderful son. 
He's so proud of me, he's, he's crying for joy. <laughs> I told you I'm going to umpire. I've been hunting all over for you. You said you'd be on the North Diamond. What are you doing away over here on the South Diamond? Well, you see... Oh, it don't matter. I found you. Uh, where's your team, Junior? It's uh, over there. Well, wait a minute. Why aren't you wearing the uniform? Well, I... Well, none of the other kids have one, so hey, I Junior, didn't want to... what are we going to do? We can't find anybody to umpire. Well, Junior, didn't you tell him I'm going to umpire? Well, swell, mister. Uh, who's this guy, Junior? My... Father. Oh. Hey, uh, hey, fellas. I can't get anybody to umpire. I've been all over We've the... got an umpire. Well, swell. Who? Junior's father here. Oh. <laughs> hey, what's all the things up? Oh, we got an umpire. Uh, yes, honey, I'm going to umpire. Swell, I'm Bert Simpson. Yeah, I'm Mr. Riley, Junior's father. Oh. <laughs> well, what's the matter? Why are you all staring at me for it? Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. I got my coat buttoned wrong. Well, well, come on. Play ball. Okay, fellas. Let's play. But I'm playing this game with my wristwatch on. I'm not letting the umpire hold it. Well, you cut it out, oh. Bert. <laughs> that Bert's a great kid. <laughs> well, let's play ball. And I remember you kids. Don't try to pull anything because I'm on to every crooked trick there is. <laughs> Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, you can say that again. Play ball. And that's the first portion of The Life of Riley from May 1st, 1948, Junior's Baseball Uniform, starring William Bendix, as heard on NBC, sponsored by Prell and Lava. I think both of those are still around, right, Lisa? Lava soap and Prell shampoo? I haven't I seen so. Prell in a while, but I did you don't, to use You Prell. don't use lava soap on your body? I don't, but it sounds enticing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it definitely does. All right, let's take a break. Then it's more here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time it's the conclusion to The Life of Riley. Then Frank Lovejoy stars in Nightbeat from 1950. You won't want to miss either of those shows. Lisa and I, Mike Costello, will see you next time.